Hi, I'm Kofi Opoku Ansa. And I'm Daniel Mark Miller. Welcome to the VFX Artist Podcast. The podcast by artists, for artists, with informative and inspirational interviews, to help you raise your game, and inspire the next generation of artists. Welcome to part two of our summary video, our recap of 2021. This was a video, that, uh, podcast episode that was supposed to come out before Christmas, but unfortunately I got COVID and was out of action for a couple of weeks, so my apologies for that. There's some fantastic content in this in this episode, from filmmakers to previous artists to supervisors to VFX editors, all kind of um, really interesting people with all different kinds of insights in the industry. So um, check it out. Um, there will also be links to the full episodes in the description. So please check those out too. And without further ado, sit back and let's get going. So we've now got uh, Paris Marine. And so yeah. we were talking about previs and post-vis and yeah. what the difference is, if you don't know. Um, yeah. So if you don't know, yeah. you will know. I was going to say, if you don't know <laughs> how you know, but you haven't listened to it. So, or maybe you have. Yeah. Been, so. I mean, did you, did you know much about previs and post-vis before? I mean, I've used previs and post Like, we get previs okay. and post-vis. And I know a couple of, I have a couple of friends who've been doing post-vis yeah. um, stuff. But, yeah. you know, there's, there's always... You know, sitting down for someone with an hour for an of hour course. and getting their side yeah. of the story is, is a different thing, right? Like, yeah. You, you get a lot deeper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I met um Paris working at um the third floor. Um I I was a match of artist, freelance match of artist, um, at the third floor, um, for postvis. So yeah. I brought on Paris to explain the differences between previous and postvis because I don't think it's it's commonly known or understood um in in industry i mean at least for me anyway i didn't know much about it when when i got into that department okay so now I you've remember interviewed I, this guy what is the difference between previous and previous in like yeah. 30 seconds or less okay so previous pre- <laughs> previous uh you should actually you should listen to the episode but yeah, uh, pre- yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I guess previous is is the concept of 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 like a, a storyboard in, in 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 action so you're literally building the the director's vision um into into like a sort of a movie like a very basic um very basic um v- view of of the movie and then and then post is literally once they've taken the previous they go and shoot the film using like the the camera angles and all of the information and and then they do the postvis with the plates and then on on postvis we integrate some sort of vfx so we do like a 70 percent or 60 percent quality type vfx on the postvis so that the director can see how the shots are looking or as well as to see if a shot is going to work when it gets to the vfx stage that's, I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting because it does give mm-hmm. you a very clear idea, right, of what you what mm-hmm. you need to do. If you just get a plate with no post fizz, mm-hmm. I mean, you just need someone to tell you what to do. But yeah. if you've got post fizz, you you've got a very clear sense of direction. Unless, of course, they've really changed direction and they don't like what they did in the post fizz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh, but yeah, hear- yeah. Paris Paris explains it better than I do. So, as a previous artist, you. You want to visualize the shots, right? So you you have to, you take a complex scene and uh, you take the 
storyboards or the or the animatic of that uh, of that film of that sequence, and you try to to put it on the screen. You want to help the director visualize this stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, like, as an example, you have a Marvel movie, and you have all these characters fighting. I don't know on the ground, uh, in the sky, and we're doing all this, all this crazy stuff. It's a bit hard to, to go directly with the camera and start shooting this stuff, right? So you want to visualize as 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 best as you can. Mm -hmm. So this is how previous is handy. You you take those boards, those storyboards, and you we as a previous company we build the assets and we we try to animate to block the animation. We use it as a layout. We'll try to to make a composition to see how it look, you know, and then we'll try to sort out the action to see yeah. how this will work best. And we'll try to answer most of the questions from pre-production. You don't want to wait later on in production to be like, okay, this will not work. This is working. What? How should we change this? You're trying to do that from the beginning. Yeah. After the shooting, we spend most of the time to do the post-it for this. So we'll get all those plates, whatever they shoot, and we try to combine our previous, our animation from, from previous shots with the posties. Yeah. We try to combine this, and that will be, again, fast further on for final pixel animation. So, um, so that was episode 10. And mm -hmm. then change of pace again. We've got, um, I, think this is a, I think this is the first on the on the podcast. This is someone who's, who's most of their work is on social media, right? This is Ty Robillard. Yeah. So yeah. tell us a bit about, about this guy. Yeah, Ty, Ty is interesting because he's, he's, I think he's only 17 and he's, he's self-taught. He's, uh, he's currently a student. He's, he's just literally just started university, but he's, um, his, his journey is quite interesting because he's self-taught. He, he uses Blender um, as a 3D software and, and After Effects for for composition. Yeah, no, uh, it yeah. feels weird to say to use the term <laughs> <laughs> composition for After Effects, but I guess you yeah. You can use After Effects for compositing. I, 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 you can. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, you can. Yeah, but yeah, he's really you cool. Need Blender, he's, actually, if you want. Yeah. Yeah, Blender's really cool 3D software. But you actually. can composite in Blender, you know. All right, okay. I mean, I don't know if like you should, like I don't yeah. know how good it is, but in, I yeah. think the the movies they do for Blender, like the Blender Foundation, they they comp in Blender as well. Okay. You can comp in Houdini as well. Like there's weird things you can comp in. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Ty, yeah, Ty loves um his journey to pursue vfx was inspired by star wars and um he yeah he he he, he thought himself how to use blender and he recreated a few um scenes from star wars that he'd, he'd seen and he yeah he got in touch with me um through coming um across the podcast and i just yeah did some research and, and learned about what he does and i thought oh this is quite cool because he's he's sort of the person that I was targeting, I was I was targeting the podcast for, so it's quite cool that he'd come across it and find it very interesting. And but he's really was, really good. Like yeah, like when you say like he's seventeen, you're like this yeah, is, this is yeah. Crazy. As a seven, yeah, that's literally why. Yeah, I wanted to highlight his talent because I think he's really he's really good and he's got he's got a good um, what do you call it? Like he 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 knows what he wants to do. He, he like he clearly knows what he wants to it's do. Got and good he's got work ethic and a good. Yeah, time. that's it. Yeah, yeah, and he's putting in all the work and he's he's contacting the right people, and it's quite inspiring. Cool. So let's hear a bit of Thai. 
in 2020, mm-hmm. which is now last year. Um, mm-hmm. I think at the very beginning of 2020, um, yeah. I saw, which was obviously, of course, at the beginning of all the lockdowns and everything. Yeah. And I had so much time on my hands and yeah. just being at home. And I was like, like, hey, what better way to spend it? Like just actually practicing what I love to do. And of course, mm-hmm. I, I, I practiced it, you know, all the time anyway, yeah. arguably maybe even too much. But yeah. um, I just said, I'm just going to do this all day, every day now for lockdown. Yeah. It's going to be great and maybe make some money off of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Matt Alonzo, um, shout out to, to him. He, uh, he posted a little advertisement yeah. and, and keep in mind, I've been following him for years just because it's one of those, eventually it was one of those film, you, yeah. you know how it is on Instagram, yeah. all those yeah. film profiles and just yeah. fall, fall, fall. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Yeah, literally. And, and they're, but they're so fun. Uh, mm-hmm. his, his, uh, work was fantastic and I was always a fan of his stuff and I'm, you know, I've been aware of his, um, his resume, which is, I mean, just, uh, just, it speaks for itself. Yeah. And so I just was a fan of his work for a while. Um, and he posted at this time, uh, Hey, looking for a VFX artist, you know, hit me up. Here's my information. And I just thought to myself, like, well, like that's, should I reach out? Like I, I mm-hmm. am, I thought to myself, wait a minute, I am a, a VFX artist. Yeah. That's what I consider myself. I don't know about anybody else. But, and I said, I don't think that this is a good idea because <laughs> this guy is, <laughs> you know he's Matt Alonzo I said yeah. I don't think that he's gonna hire me so I, I hesitated and I actually I shut off my phone and I thought about it and I was, I was actually working on a project and I just it couldn't get out of my head and I was like no I'm doing myself yeah. an injustice by not reaching out because the worst thing that could happen would be he just either doesn't open it yeah. or he just says no yeah I don't know him personally so I at, mm-hmm. at the time and I said you know what? I'm gonna reach out and I, re- I reached out and he said oh thanks for great thanks for reaching out he sent me some files. He said, can you send me some samples? I said, absolutely. And I, I finished that. Um, and I was just, I was so excited to even, even go that far. Yeah. And on the spot, he said, I love it. I want to hire you. And it was just, I mean, that was, like I said, a complete turning point because I was able yeah. to produce at, at the times mm-hmm. as 17 years old, I was able to help produce um, a major music video uh, you know, some visuals for that with a, like you said, an award-winning director who I never yeah. would have thought I would cross paths with. Yeah. So you can check out that. That's episode ten. No, that's episode eleven. Sorry, yeah. uh, with Ty Robillard, and you can also follow him on Vimeo and uh, find his uh, showreel. Watch it yourself. Yeah. And now we go to um, Rihanna. Rihanna, not the uh, singer. Rihanna Charles yeah. and Jodie yeah. Simmons. So this is another first. We come yeah. from one first to another. There's two people in one episode. <laughs> yeah. Rihanna, Rihanna Charles and Jodie Simone Howe and costume and set designing. So this is actually mm. really cool because, I mean, um, I mean, as a compositor, set design is something that you, you're interested in because often we're changing it or we're, mm. we're trying not to break it or, yeah. or we're trying to fix it. You know, So there's yeah. like three, level, three ways it could be. We're almost doing it. We're trying mm. to fix it because it's broken, or yeah. we're trying not to break it because it looks great, and we just need to do our comp work and keep mm. everything that they've done, which is so good. So yeah. anyway, uh, let's yeah. hear a bit yeah. about I mean, all of them. Yeah, stuff. yeah, Rihanna and and Jody Simone. Um, I think their industry is quite interesting, or at least I found it interesting because I don't know much about it, and it was, it was quite intriguing. Um, so I wanted to find out, yeah, how how they like they i don't know they they like they do all the costumes for for the actors and actresses and and what goes into it and i want i I wanted to find out the difference between 
that and and the fashion in the industry um as well as i was curious about how they their journey into in, into that industry or that sector um works because for us as artists um going to find work we have to have a showreel and we have to at least at some at some point there was a um a set um steps of of transitioning so you have to be a runner and then transition into the departments that you had to go to yeah but then i found out through them that in their industry or in their sector it's 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 quite it's quite different you don't really need just like we don't really need like cvs anymore to like to mm. get work in, in the industry like they don't really really need showreels so it's interesting to yeah to learn about yeah what they do and their role and yeah it, yeah, how they, how they got into it as well, I and mean, how they got started, yeah. and how they got to where they yeah. are. So yeah. let's hear a bit of these, uh, um, a, a bit of uh, Rihanna and Jody. Basically, a costume has a journey throughout a show, and mm. I work out what that journey is and yeah. how it gets from A to B. Um, yeah. For example, if there's uh, if there's like a shooting or like a stunt in the show and there's a progression of a costume getting broken down from start to end. Um, usually when you're filming, you know this as well, Kofi, you always film out of order. So we might go slap bang in the middle when the costume should be mid broken down. And it's my job to know that happens. It's my job to also know that I need to have doubles so that when we go back, that, that, that costume's fresh. Yeah. Or if we jump forward, then it's the, the most broken down version we can have. Yeah. Um, and then my day-to-day would involve kind of documenting all of that continuity into some sort of, some sort of Bible, we call it. I'll go through costume design just because um, that's where I'm kind of maneuvering into a lot more at the moment. Usually you get sent a script by either the director or producer mm-hmm. um, and they kind of like, you know, we would we, love to have you on board this project. Like, please have a look at the script. See if there's something that you're interested in once you've got the script you kind of do like a script breakdown kind of like have a read of it kind of start to imagine what the characters are like um who these people are and then visualize them and then often you'll kind of create mood boards and uh send those through to the director and sometimes the producers are involved in that um as well but then it's kind of a back and forth about kind of and a meeting of minds um for what to actually put on screen when it comes to the characters uh that's kind of a vague kind of uh what you you're doing as costume design sometimes you do costume illustration um as well when it comes to the prep and the beginning of of it um but uh currently as i said i'm working as an assistant costume designer on a project with an amazing costume designer called ruka johnson um who was the costume designer for Rocks, which I don't know if you've seen, but it was amazing. This is a long, this is a long episode, this next one, but it's really yeah. cool. It's almost, I, to me, this was, when I listened to this, I thought this was like two bits of content. This is with Simon Legrand, this episode mm. 13. Um, and so in one aspect, it's talking about, you know, working as an artist in, all, in a load of, uh, in a lot of studios. But then there's also some really cool stuff. And I think it's about halfway in, um, about real time and Unreal Engine and mm-hmm. using that in a studio and, and why it's not super simple to get it in a pipeline but how mm. he's doing that at Untold Untold Studios mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Simon Grant, tell us a bit about how you met Simon and how you got him involved. Yeah. What you took away from yeah. this one. Yeah, Simon. So, Simon um, discovered Ace's podcast because they're connected. Um, and then I I reached out, I connected with, with Simon because he... I don't know for some reason he found Ace's episode to be really really cool, and then when I le- I came for to learn reason. about what's yeah because <laughs> it's really cool that's why <laughs> yeah when I came to learn about what Simon does um, as a as a real time supervisor I I I didn't have anyone on the podcast that did real time I mean as a yeah so. I had Simon on, and then his journey was really cool because he's worked at some of them, like the amazing studios that almost everyone wants to work at or for. Um, but then also, interestingly, he he's a real time supervisor, untold. Um, and then he was he was he was he was t- kind of like telling me, or sort of, what's the word? So because lately, Unreal has become quite. Um, the buzz yeah and like a lot of people yeah a lot of people are doing it and but what's interesting is that simon was like everyone uses unreal in the wrong way or (laughs) some some (laughs) yeah because he yeah he was saying it feels like it's easy to use unreal but most of the times people or artists um are just using the presets and they're not they don't really understand um what goes behind or like how things work and um and as well as his his experience with having unreal freelancers at his studio that sometimes like some people might have uh, amazing um short films done in unreal but they when they have to translate that into working in 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 a studio it's difficult for them to translate it because they haven't understood um the full skill of how things work and but yeah aside from that um yeah that episode was really cool because his journey and his story is amazing and then he 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 would i learned about how um they use untold studios is using unreal to to um to like um help their clients and 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 wanted to like to bring their ideas to life and yeah, I mean, wh- I mean, you. Uh, what did you think about about that? I, I thought I thought it was really good because I mean, the mm-hmm. challenges as well. Like one of the things about Android is you've got all these mega scans and you have got some stuff that looks really good out of the box, right? Mm-hmm. But again, like it looks a certain way, and if, mm-hmm. if well, I guess once you're familiar with that, it, it all looks that way. So yeah. making something specific to a brief. Is, is a bit more challenging and I think he mm-hmm. he really breaks down that and, and get, takes you a bit away from the buzz and, and gives you a, a good grounding in where they are so mm-hmm. I would if you're interested in Unreal I mean if you're interested in just your general career advice I think I would just listen to the, the whole thing and if you're just interested yeah. in Unreal I think you can sort of go back to the halfway point and just like get all the yeah. information about Unreal I mm-hmm. think it's a brilliant one um, so that is episode 13 yeah, that- um, yeah. Let's hear a bit of that. You can't treat real time like you treat an old school VFX mm-hmm. pipeline. The the data management isn't the same. Mm-hmm. You can't uh, you know reference files off disk. You know it has to go through this conversion process. 
to turn into a UI set to, to live inside the project uh, directory of the engine. So because of that, there's a, yeah, the, the, the workflow is different and you need to treat it differently, um, yeah. which is kind of a tough, tough nut to crack because <clears throat> ideally you want someone that works in the VFX side of things to be able to just jump on onto an unreal job and feel at home and work like they usually work. Yeah. Uh, but on the other side, you have to remember that like, you know, a very good example is that in, in Nuke or Houdini, if you want to try three different textures, you just import all three yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you just plug them yeah. and just mm -hmm. like switch between the three and you go like, which one's mm -hmm. best, you know? Yeah. Um, if you do that with Unreal, you're going to go through, you know, a whole import process, which is much slower than referencing yep. from disk. Mm -hmm. Then you're creating IO, uh, which, you know, you have to be careful in big pipelines when a lot of people are working. IO is, is a dangerous thing to, uh, to bottleneck. Yeah. Um, and so you're creating a lot more IO. And then on top of that, you're just putting so much useless data in the project cache. Okay. So they're like, while you're working, every time you import a texture, Unreal compresses that information, puts it in a cache somewhere mm -hmm. to remember it. Uh, and it doesn't really link back to the JPEG or the EXR that you had on disk. So that cache, uh, when you delete that texture, that cache stays so because that, Unreal yeah. doesn't know that you've deleted that mm -hmm. texture. It doesn't care. It just keeps the cache. So you have this massive cache that starts building and building and building. And then suddenly everyone's uh, cloud machines are like running out of space. Uh, because because of all that crazy useless yeah. information that's being built in. So to change the workflow, you can't really just tell the artist like this is how it works because most artists, they just want to do their work. Yeah. Uh, and if they want to check three textures, they want to find a way to check three textures easily. So you have to start building tools um, that behave like yeah. what they are used to, mm -hmm. but behind the scenes kind of does something else and then i joined you <laughs> yeah 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 that yeah so i was a yeah. fan i was i was following the the podcast because it was a similar way to how you met with ace like i yeah. was seeing the people i was listening to i think mm -hmm. well actually i was i connected with ace so i saw his episode come up mm -hmm. and, and just followed the podcast because i thought it was really cool yeah. and i thought it was something that i wanted to do and never done and you'd done mm -hmm. it and you'd put the work in and and Got all these great people on, so I was really impressed. Um, yeah, and then, but yeah, and then you asked me. I think. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well. Well. Because, at the right from the beginning of when I started the podcast, you were you were really like helpful. Like you you were so um, kind with giving me feedback, and um, you were always so honest with with your feedbacks, and I really appreciated them because I like doing podcasts is like my first time, and and. I had no idea about uh, yeah. how to. And it, yeah, uh, although it was kind, it was actually a lot easier to give the feedback than to actually do it. I, I found when I started, <laughs> it is really difficult. Like, I mean, it it's is. not like you know, like launching a rocket to Mars, but yeah. there are there are a lot of pitfalls, especially if you're just used to looking at pictures and suddenly yeah. you're dealing with you know, a medium yeah. that we do have pictures, but it's it's really all about sound, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I asked you, yeah, when, when my my newborn, my second child son was born um, earlier in September and like, yeah, I was literally, I was going to um, put the podcast on hold for like a few weeks or a month or so. Um, 
and to access we're back again but then yeah i just i just you came into my mind and i thought wow it'd be really cool to to have have you on board and and then yeah have you because you have your own contacts and it'll be quite cool to have a diverse um um what do you call it yeah Range diverse, people. And I guess yeah, even range, yeah, posts. yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. And it, it does mean we can be a bit more regular, right? Like, because uh, we're exactly. still turning them around in a couple of weeks because we have other jobs and we both have families and yeah. things. So, you know, do an interview and then probably edit it the following weekend. Um, mm-hmm. But although there's that two week cycle, it's kind of staggered, right? So I'm doing one and yeah. you're doing another. In this case, yeah. obviously, we've got, um, you've sometimes got, you had a bit of a backlog of episodes prepared. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. which is why there's still a few more coming out but I think yeah. more often it will become a one, two, one, two, one, two, yeah, exactly, two, yeah. two, 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 two or whatever yeah that's it um, but yeah and a few more things like this maybe or yeah, some exactly, other yeah. formats um, and yeah. we'd love to hear other formats that people are interested in right like there are little short formats or we're thinking of like some round table type mm-hmm. things so yeah that would be yeah. cool so this was a this contact this guy um, yeah. is actually really interesting. So I I worked with Chaos Group quite a lot. One was I was at a studio and we were trying to buy, I was trying to get, persuade the small studio to buy some V-Ray licenses because they yeah. had some very old ones. So Alex uh, at the Chaos Group just really helped um, sort me out and they all were really patient. But moving on from there, I um, have been doing a short film and so I've been in contact with Chaos Group, they actually sponsored um, it a, a little bit. So we've done a promo, okay. a little commercial mm-hmm. for the for the short film, nice. and we did that using uh, using V-Ray, which they gave us licenses for, and using the Render Farm Chaos Cloud, which they gave yeah, us right. licenses for. So I thought of interviewing one of the artists there, and I asked Alex, and he was like, "Well, I'm not really the person. I'm not really an artist. I'm not the person you want to speak to, but I know who is." And mm-hmm. this guy, uh, Chris Nichols. Um, is, is brilliant. He's a VFX supervisor, so he's worked in the industry from early days. We're talking about stuff like um, Day After Tomorrow um, kind of stuff, uh, mm-hmm. Tron Legacy, you know. So he's he knows V-Ray very well. I think he he literally, one of the first things is I, I've been working with V-Ray since before it was a product. So mm-hmm. when it was just like a little, you know, when it was just Vlad yeah. doing his thing. Um, and he's also now working with their real time, so that means V-Ray in Unreal. Um, so it's not really competing with Unreal. There is a V-Ray for Unreal, but also this this thing called Vantage, which hasn't got as much buzz as I think it probably deserves, because it's really interesting, because mm-hmm. it's fully real time yeah. ray tracing, mm-hmm. um, and you can bring in a VR scene. So if you ha- if you're using V-Ray on any platform, you can export yeah. your um, thing as a VR scene and perhaps in future it will bring in USD as well and I think that would that would make it blow up mm-hmm. um, so dealing with real time and he also did this promo for V-Ray years ago like 10 years ago mm-hmm. which was hilarious and it's like well, they, they talk about um, the the features but like they were while they're robbing a bank uh, <laughs> and it's and, it, and I remember that being that blowing up at the time and being really funny mm-hmm. so I thought this was a really good chance to catch up with him and of course we were went both went on his podcast too right? yeah so that was mm-hmm. that was a cool one yeah yeah I think yeah I thought Chris yeah Chris was really his journey was cool it's really cool um it's it, it's quite inspiring how he keeps he's still doing the podcast like after so many years and he yeah his his journey is really interesting because he 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 was 
where he was a an artist in the architecture visualization industry and then he he switched to vfx which is really interesting and yeah, yeah kind of cool. i mean it's it's i mean there's a lot of those like switches and then switching again right to working mm. on a with a with a vendor essentially with a software yeah. vendor that he'd had a relationship with as a supervisor mm-hmm. so there's some some cool stuff there because Lado and I have been talking about this for years. It's like, yes, you know, rasterized, you know, real-time rendering is going to replace offline rendering eventually, but rasterized rendering is not going to replace ray tracing. And everyone keeps talking about how, oh yeah, Unreal's so much better. It's like Unreal is a rasterizer <laughs> still. Even Unreal 5 is a rasterizer, right? What Unreal 5 is doing is what RenderMan did back during Wally, right? All those so it's wow. it's good. It's really good for real time, but it's not ray tracing. And what you want ultimately is full ray tracing. So eventually maybe RenderMan uh, 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 Unreal is going to go full ray tracing. But right now, if I want full ray tracing in real time, my only option is Vantage, <laughs> right? So, so when, when will Vantage be It is, commercial you can use it right now. <laughs> You can use it right now. So it's uh, the the cool thing is what what I'm doing and what I'm taking advantage of in Vantage <laughs> is what I'm we're trying to get working is 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 something called live linking, which is available in Max and Maya, and it's not available in, uh, uh, yet for for Unreal because I'm sort of trying that thing out right now. But uh, what 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 uh, what it's live linking is is it takes uh, let's say you're in Maya and you have your scene in Maya and you have V-Ray from Maya uh, ready. Uh, you use live linking and what it does is when you hit live linking, it'll take whatever you have in Maya and live render it in uh, Vantage. So you can see it in, in real-time ray tracing that way. So we're on a bit of an Unreal and real-time kind of role now because you've got an Unreal supervisor again mm-hmm. uh, with Floyd Binier. Um, yeah. So, and he also, um, you saw a LinkedIn post that he did? That yeah, done. so yeah, one of my contacts, um, told me about him so um my mate jermaine rogers he he sent me a, a, a post linked to floyd's original post which was floyd um discussing his how an, a, a black student or a black um person contacted him um asking for advice about how um it is working in the industry as a as a person of color um and then floyd was was just literally talking about how he feels um um yeah he was he was he was he was saying a bit about how he wish he how he can help a bit more and he was quite inspired or, or touched by the, the person that had contacted him and he felt he, he wasn't doing enough and he 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 wish he can he can do enough so he was reaching out he was reaching out to people to in a way so that he can be more of, of a service to to the community so that's how i came across um um floyd and then um yeah i decided to bring him on because yeah working he was like the first black supervisor or at least that i i i, I know of or I've, I've come across um, I mean that's interesting. so. How have you found it, like yourself? Just curiosity. Yeah, I mean his his story is quite common to me because I I move around a lot. I mean, like I'd say f- 
in the in the studios I've worked in since being a junior or one I've I've always been either the only black person or one of two or one of a few. Um and it it seems to be quite common. Um, yeah, it's it's true. I, I find even when I would commute in, I mean now I've been working from home for so long, it's feels like forever. But mm-hmm. you know, I'd find that as I got on the bus, sort of mm-hmm. in South London, and got to the end of my commute, like the end of my commute was yeah. a lot whiter than the beginning yeah. of my commute. I mean, <laughs> how yeah. else to say it? But yeah. like, you know, um, so it's very true. And it, yeah. um, did you do? You, why do you think that is? I mean. A, a, I mean, yeah, there's some no, demographic um, issues, but I mean, at the same time, like it seems less than than the number of people there are in in, in London, for yeah. example. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that. So, I think it, it's based on a lot of different factors, and um, I mean, firstly, because I mean, for some some of it could be because, like as Floyd was saying, um, the ratio of of black students coming out of 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 a course like a of a degree and then pursuing um, that industry or or actually finishing that degree um, cuts off because sometimes they don't we don't graduate and then and then pursue it or there's 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 lack of um, of knowledge of 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 these departments um, in the get go because. Mm. I mean, as as speaking for myself, I'm I'm African, and I know f- certainly that the African community um, tend not to like respect or appreciate the artist, the the art or creative industry. Um, so that's part of the problem because we don't we don't encourage it. So Although, I mean, I think there's an element of that in 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 the white community as well, right? Like, if you say you right. want to be like a VFX artist, people say, like, mm-hmm. well, "What do you really want to do?" I think that's not that's not a mm. black thing, like to right? Be, it might be more okay. in, in te- I mean, I guess if you're, you know, perhaps if you're like from a more working class background, or you know, mm. like um, it, it it gets m- it might be intensified, and maybe there are factors. Well. I mean, but he, Prince on the interview said his family wanted him to be an electrician, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess <laughs> I mean yeah I don't want to I don't know I mean yeah. I'm just wondering if there's anything like do you think that's like the like because that's sort of putting all the blame kind of not all the blame but the the responsibility purely on the black community at this point and, and yeah I don't know if that's entirely yeah I mean true. yeah I don't think there's it's got to do with any biases in the industry because from my experience that everyone that I've interacted with in the industry have been as like really cool to get on with and everyone's really kind and really friendly so yeah they just yeah they just might not be enough people taking taking i think there's also an element of like of connections right like i mean hmm. you say that but i don't think it was always that way and i know people my age that have had some really like horrible experiences uh, right. genuinely like quite horrific and um and if those people you know uh, you know, maybe that's like 10, 15 years ago. But if those people in the industry, you know, if there was this sort of level of prejudice there, then it's going to take a while to go away because what happens is they bring in all, all white people or they mm-hmm. tend to not bring in black people or not bring them forward, bring them, like, mm-hmm. put them, bring them up through the industry. Uh, and the few people that are there are then under this pressure of, like, if they're good or bad, they're, like, representing black people. Because if right. you're the only oh, black yeah, sure, artist, yeah. if you're not of good... Course 
it's like you're now all black people are bad right like that's yeah. the thing that's not the case with a white artist they could be really they could be terrible but because mm. all the other artists are white as well like no one it, it, it doesn't like reflect on the white community to the same extent <laughs> yeah. but I feel like if there was this you know when you have this backlog of prejudice and then you have these people around mm -hmm. then their connections like people just don't won't have those connections right like, yeah from from the past and it will take mm -hmm. an, almost like another generation to get rid of yeah like that's the thing these things will take longer that like yeah, the actual course. results of prejudice will, will last longer than the prejudice itself in some ways yeah 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 i mean yeah there's a lot that needs to be done and but yeah um yeah that's yeah but I, but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think a lot yeah a lot needs to, in terms of education wise in terms of making people aware of it which is what i try to do sometimes as well like going back into my old college and just literally showing the students what i do and what i've been up to and yeah speaking to them and and then just yeah and and also i mean just to just to put you know a bit of clarity on this floyd's interview um, is actually really good on real time yeah. and unreal and game yeah. and the game industry and mm -hmm. the connection to the game industry and the film industry so his path it, it so there obviously we touch on you touch on this issue and you touched on them with ace you touch on them with um prince, prince you touch yeah. on them with other other artists that you've interviewed mm -hmm. but uh, one thing I th want to say is it's actually a really epic unreal like yeah. real time episode because one of the really fascinating things about his journey to supervisor is that because he was from the game industry he had mm -hmm. real time experience way more than any of the other artists yeah. um, and I think that's quite that's quite an interesting because that, that this is the, the first time when people have normally being in the game industry would be like a drawback if you're trying to get into film right? mm -hmm. yeah. and at this point in time because of how unreal is blowing up in film it's actually mm -hmm. a really good time if you're in the game industry now and you're thinking i'd like to do film it's the time yeah. Yeah. to do it <laughs> i think it's the time right yeah so let's let's hear a bit of uh floyd what can be done in pre-rendered cinematics and uh what can be done in games is getting closer and is smaller and smaller all the time as mm -hmm. graphics cards get more powerful and as tech gets more powerful yeah. um that yeah that gap is just closing and i think we're getting to a place um where studios are, are really starting to recognize this um the team over at unreal has recognized this yeah. uh, a good while ago and that's their aim i think is to just create this tool that can replace what people are doing with pre-rendering mm -hmm. um i mean you can still to some degree pre-render out of unreal um so you can render from it but the I guess the the only setbacks at the moment are that mesh complexity and things like translucency and transparency and all of that stuff that requires like really complex rendering um, is still going to be done in mm -hmm. pre-rendered high-end studios. Um, as soon as Unreal manages to completely close that gap, I don't see why people won't completely be using it. I think Unreal 5, what we can see from it so far, um, they're already closing that gap. In terms of mesh complexity, they seem to be solving that already. Like You can have hundreds and thousands of polygons on a mesh now. Um, and that wasn't possible in Unreal 4, um, not in the way that you can have like crazy displacement on a wall in yeah. pre-rendered projects. Um, and that's something that I learned moving into pre-rendered when I went to Axis was just like, well, you guys just 
just press the buttons and the, yeah. the polys just go high. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you put a, a displacement map or a height map yeah. on there and have it tessellate like six or seven times in right. a scene and everyone's okay with that. Yeah. That's fine because it looks awesome. <laughs> I see that there maybe aren't enough black kids coming up mm -hmm. from school, going into college for this industry. Yeah. And then because the numbers of um, kids that go to university in the courses drops by, I mean, once in the first year, there's like say 80 people mm -hmm. in the second year, there's like 40 people. And then in the, the last year, only like 30 of them graduate. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so if at the beginning you only get three black students in by the time people come out, you will be lucky if there's one that gets through. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if it's just that this industry is never taken seriously in mm -hmm. the black community yeah, or sure. it's, um not taken not not taken seriously but mm. that just it's not an option i just yeah i feel like i only i only i only wanted to do this because of my own want to do this yeah it was never advertised to me mm -hmm. um as something i could do or something i should want to do mm. and i think that's something that maybe we need to do more um i think all i knew is when i was growing up and all my friends knew when we were growing up was that we didn't want to work a regular 9 to 5 yeah, okay. um yeah. and this this industry has enabled me to do that um sure i work nine to five but i do art all day every day i mean yeah. every, pretty much everyone works a nine to five yeah. it's not a millionaire <laughs> like you're good there's a period of time you're going to need to sit down and do your work yeah. it's whether mm -hmm. you enjoy doing that work or not that it makes the difference right mm -hmm. and i 90 percent of the days maybe 95 percent of the days enjoy doing what i'm doing and love doing mm -hmm. what i'm doing um yeah. but i think we just need to advertise more that this is a completely viable option and not just a viable mm -hmm. option but a really fruitful one yeah um yeah. And one that creates massive opportunities. Like I, I've not had to struggle for many years of my yeah. life. Like yeah. when I was at university, my card got declined at McDonald's. Like that was how I lived. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> but like that's not that's not life anymore. And that's yeah. I I owe that all to one my own dedication, sure, and the fact that I love doing what I do. But to the industry uh, enabling me at every step of the way to be able to do what I love doing. Ah, this is the second one I did. Uh, yeah. Episode Something 16. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 16. Yeah. So, yeah, it was quite interesting because I think Christy was saying that your first encounter was that you, well, you were a client, her client. Well, not quite. So, they, I actually got invited <laughs> for another friend, Sandra Roach, who's a compositor. She, right. she um, invited me to this focus group where they were talking mm -hmm. about launching. Um, I think at the time it was like Nuke, what became Nuke Indie. So the idea mm -hmm. that you know how because Nuke is really expensive. Right? If you if you mm -hmm. look at if you try and buy it, it if yourself, yeah. it's actually a lot of money. So they were saying, how can we make a version that we sell at a cheaper price point that we take away some features? So it's cheap enough that artists can buy it for themselves, mm -hmm. but it's when we don't want the studios to feel like they're being ripped off. So we get, we need to remove some features. And Houdini, mm -hmm. for example, has exactly this. If you look at the side effects, you can get Houdini Indie. So they, I think they were the first to do it. And yeah. now Maya has a version. So it's now become quite a, a standard thing. So they were yeah. just doing like a, a focus group about that. And of course, you know, that I, I sort of see why they want to take it out, all features. But of course, we want all the features because we do. Yeah. Like, and we don't want to pay for them, like lots of money. <laughs> but, and so we had this like discussion. Um, and I just thought it was good to follow that up. Um, also, I've been in, in touch with Christy. Um, we uh, similar thing of trying to negotiate new licenses at a smaller studio mm -hmm. that I was working at. 
um, and we were around the corner and we went to some of the foundry parties as well which are really really were really fun like <laughs> we had one yeah. I think it was Radiant paid for all the drinks and they had all these cocktails they had like a Wheel of Fortune with all these yeah. different like Swedish they were all Swedish for some reason the cocktails <laughs> crazy Swedish names and uh, no one knew what they were um, and yeah it was that was that was quite a, that was a big night big night mm. out but um so anyway, yeah. we got in touch. We didn't talk about parties or um, nope. any of these things. We actually talked about um, we talked about her career, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting because it's product development, so it's a yeah. little bit different. Um, and we talked about um, the actual softwares themselves. So Nuke, obviously, I talk a lot about Nuke. I've got to say it's a little bit Nuke bias. I did get a feedback from someone who's a Modo artist who was like, "I wish you talked a bit more about Modo," and I will say. We might do in the future, but I I use Nuke every day and I've used it for quite a few years, so I, I do talk a lot about Nuke. So if you're interested in Nuke, this is definitely. But we don't just talk about Nuke. We talk about um, uh, machine learning in general. Uh, we talk about Katana. We talk about how this software is being used in other industries as well. So, uh, for example, Modo is used in product development, which I didn't really know much about at all. People are using it to present products, and then they're using um, even Nuke is being used for like car, like you can spec up a car, like I want, you know, these custom hubcaps or whatever. So there's some interesting things of people using this VFX stuff outside of VFX. But they're also talking about how you know, if you're an artist and you're interested in working for a software vendor, what how you can do that because there's a sort of art to developing software and deciding what features to develop and what not to develop mm-hmm. and then of course we talk about the buzzwords like what not but machine learning is a big thing um, we touch on real time we talk about USD which I think is really it's, it's like a tip like I realised I didn't we never really explain what USD is uh, but basically it's interchange so our whole industry is all different softwares and Definitely when I started, it was always a nightmare to take something from like Piff Track to Maya, from Maya mm-hmm. to Nuke. Every time there was a bit of a faff. Um, and it's got easier with Alembic. It's all kind mm-hmm. of like, now it all just works yeah. um, a lot better. Although there's still things like, you know, like different scales, Houdini's in meters yeah. and Maya's yeah. in centimeters and stuff like that. But <laughs> generally everything is quite standard. And USD is doing the same thing, but with lighting and shaders and, and textures. So you can take a scene into a different renderer um, so it's and take it into Nuke in the new version of Nuke so there's some interesting there's some really interesting stuff with that and it's not a foundry product it's like it's general mm-hmm. software everything is going to have some level of USD Houdini yeah. is doing it in Solaris so I thought that was quite an interesting topic to that we touch on at the end right everything is going to come into Nuke right for a comp and of course, like when it comes to interop already from Nuke, we have to think about all the different inputs that you're going to bring in, whether it's camera plates, EXRs, Alembics, USD scenes now, all that has to come into Nuke. And um, we are seeing Nuke show up much earlier in the process where it's being used as that reference point from the beginning of the how do we plan how we want this to end up in the end see it in the context of Nuke, and then go off, work in all these other applications, render, and then you're going to come back to Nuke in the end. And I think that creates a lot of really interesting opportunities for interop. 
and you know, obviously it's also the promise of USD, right? That you'll be able to go backwards and forwards and maintain um, a sense of, you know, versioning and control and non-destructive changes within a scene, thanks to that. When you think about the work that product management does, um, I guess it's just probably interesting because a lot of your audience probably doesn't know what product management does other than their people that come and present roadmaps at your studio of <laughs> what's coming next. So really um, the way I see the role of product is matching, you know, bringing in the voice of the customer and matching that to the business goals and working out the strategy for the product, but then taking that strategy and really being the one that's working towards delivery. So of course that's working really closely in partnership with engineering, the people that are actually writing code and doing, you know, the development of the software, but really with, you know, any team that's involved with delivery. So, you know, DevOps and business systems and sales and marketing and customer support and, and everything else, right? Whatever you need that voice of the customer and, and that sense of priority. So, in that sense, it's quite broad and quite exciting, you know, the, the role. And then, yeah, and now we're like, back to you. You've got a couple mm -hmm. of episodes, um, yeah. which you, yeah. I think you'd recorded before, but this one came out um, a little bit early because the film's coming yeah. out. So tell us about that. This is yeah. Marcus, Marcus Flemings. Yeah. So yeah, Marcus is, yeah, sorry, Marcus, yeah, his, his film actually came out, um, yeah, on November 30th, um, which is called Blonde Purple. But, um, yeah, I was curious about just journey and the life of indie filmmakers. Um, just because I think I actually have um, like a short film that I I may want to direct maybe in the mm. new year because I, I actually I remember um, Chris asking me in his episode when he interviewed us and I said no I don't have any 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 <laughs> film ideas but then I realized <laughs> I realized I'd had um, like a like a script and I not a script an idea in my notes for like two years Ooh. that I want to develop so yeah this this made me want to learn a bit more about yeah just indie filmmakers and and then how how they are surviving in this era of of like this because there's so much um content being made um left yeah everywhere and as as well as if you look at netflix even like for what we do we're always working on like tv t episodics are just literally outpacing feature films i think um, and this, the demand is is just incredible. So I was just I was curious to find out about yeah how they are surviving um, in 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 this day and age and how they're being like keeping relevant and being original and how yeah how just how they are taking in everything that's going on with 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 content. It's it's being. a really cool it's a really cool interview actually because. Um, Again, it's one of these ones where it's not strictly VFX. Yeah. But of course, we all work in the film industry. I mean, the VFX is, mm -hmm. you know, for film and TV. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how filmmakers become directors, how mm -hmm. directors um, raise money for films. So if you're interested mm -hmm. in financing project, which I actually am trying to do as well, so I was like, yeah, oh, <laughs> like, take notes. Um, yeah. So you know, this is you know, this is all gold for that for that kind of stuff. And his film Blonde Purple, yeah, is, is out, and that's yeah that's uh where is that available that's on on amazon prime and apple tv um and then voodoo 
and then apparently he said it's on the Xbox as well. So, yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> That's, I didn't even know you could like get that stream films on the Xbox. But. Yeah, yeah. So I was surprised. Uh, yeah. So that was a cool. One. How did you get in touch though? Um, uh, with um Marcus. So Marcus is is connected to Hader. Hader basically came across my podcast because um, he he okay interesting so Hader had been listening to um uh, cg um chris's CG episodes uh, so who is Hader? What is he, what is he, is he? hey oh uh, yeah so Hader is he's a cinematographer um okay. so he's a yeah he's a cinematographer and and i do know that from the podcast but i thought I <laughs> you i mean people might be listening after right? yeah of course yeah yeah so Hader, yeah he's a cinematographer and he he works he's worked with marcus on a few projects um, and so then when he came across my podcast, he, he showed me, he, uh, he sent me a link to, to Marcus's trailer, which was coming up. Um, and I thought that was quite cool cause I thought the trailer was really nice and I thought, oh, this is really cool. And he was, he was from the UK and yeah. So that's, that's the connection between, between them. And yeah, that's why I brought. That's cool. Yeah, and what's funny said. actually at the end, he he doesn't know much about like what you do. Yeah. And then yeah. I thought was interesting was that um, you know we both we both have this mutual kind of respect or like awe like in a way mm-hmm. because from my point of view it's like I'm so impressed because he, you're a director of feature films and then and then at the same time you saw that when you he said you just worked on Eternals he's like mm. just blown away by like the level yeah. of projects you're working on so mm. there's these two different approaches right where you you have these very small small films these independent films and mm-hmm. but you are you know you're you have this sort of full creative control and mm-hmm. then these projects where you're part of a bigger something much bigger than than what you could do on your own mm-hmm. um but everyone knows them everyone knows the name of this yeah. project and, yeah part of the zeitgeist of our mm-hmm. time so there's I thought that was quite that was quite a sweet little touch at the end that yeah. <laughs> he yeah. was he was like oh wow like why are you asking me questions <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that was that was that was pretty cool but yeah. so let's check let's check out a bit of um, a bit of that I would say that having good connections will definitely help you thankfully on these films. I've almost self-financed the past the past two, so it's been right. quite fortunate in that sense. But definitely having good connections will help you sometimes. I think on the first film we made, me and Hader, Hader had a lot of wonderful connections with I think three or four investors, which right. they all put money into the film, which really helps. And Hader's really good at kind of, and you know you've met him, so yeah. well, you've spoken to him, so you know yeah, he's very personable, yeah. and you know he he. He's, he's very passionate about film and that comes across as, as soon as you meet him that comes across and yeah. that's how he's managed to get, get people on his side over the years and um, I think it's really important to keep those key relationships going because you know they may not invest the first time they may not invest the second time but somewhere down the line they may invest or they may just pay to watch your film you know if they like you they may pay to watch your film which is an investment in itself um, so keeping key relationships is really really important 
and it's good to keep those relationships going. So if you do work with an investor, make sure they get their money back before you start going out and spending your money. Right. Make sure they get all their money back. We did that with conversations. You know, we made a little bit of money from the firm and we just gave it straight back. Any money that we've made, we've given it straight back to the investors. Um, with distributors and sales agents and stuff, that is, again, keeping relationships, but you have to keep in mind that, you know, for this film, I've now established a relationship with one distributor. On the next film I make, maybe it's with another distributor. So, you know, it, it really varies, but you should always keep relationships in the industry really tight because it's a very small industry and people think it's this vast, wide thing. There's different levels, you know, uh, the, there's the Hollywood level and there's the independent budget level and there's a low, really low end and everyone knows each other. Until you get to the Hollywood stage, everyone knows each other. So, you know, if you if you mess someone over, if you're not delivering, if you're rude to someone, someone's going to find out somewhere. So mm. keeping relationships is really key. And um, just, you know, I think you mentioned the word vision, making sure that your vision is always communicated to everyone that you work mm. with. And then, um, so check out the interview with Marcus Flemings. If you're interested in that, you can also <laughs> check out the film. Um, and then uh, the last one, um, now, we're actually recording this before you've released this, so I don't actually know who the next one is. <laughs> episode 18 is the last, it's the, it's the penultimate episode of 2021. Uh, and this is mm -hmm. the last episode of 2021. So we're yeah. in some quite cool territory here. So tell yeah. us a bit about... So, yeah, episode 18. Yeah, it's going to be with um, a guy called Bermont Lorenzo. And he's a, he's a VFX editor at uh, Lucasfilm. Um so it was quite interesting because my understanding with vfx editors was that i had the impression that they they cut and they they edit the film but through that podcast i learned about the differences between between them and 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 yeah it was quite interesting because everyone that just assumes being an editor is, is your role is just to cut and edit but there's there's a few um variations and roles so yeah it's it'll be interesting to to actually listen to it and yeah it's interesting because he's currently he's he's been working on andor so andor for, for um mm. which is coming out soon so yeah we talk about that as well so now i'll mention those ones first so i yeah. started as i said fantastic beasts um then i moved on to maleficent 2 mm -hmm. then i moved on to venom 2 and now I've on to the new Star Wars show, um, Andor. Uh, as a VFX editor, you are expected to be able to provide a vision of what the shot's going to look like so the editor and the director and whoever else can see it. So we'll be temping in, you know, quite rough comps of, you know, filling green screens with backgrounds mm -hmm. or uh, painting out yeah. objects that shouldn't be there or sometimes even comping in like you know there's a lot of spaceships going on this now because we're in star wars land mm -hmm. um right now um so there's a lot of that lasers we're doing loads of lasers yeah. <laughs> um there's a lot of that so yeah we're expected to do a lot of that so that's kind of what i'm going to be doing tomorrow there's a mm -hmm. big long list of things that we have to do mm -hmm. um other than that we could be turning over visual effects shots over to you guys to mm -hmm. through the through visual effects production who yeah. distribute out to the vendors um there's a lot of that um and you know if you think about it average movie big budget movie has got i don't know 
two, two and a half thousand shots, mm-hmm. we're the ones getting those frames out the door. Yeah. Um, and with the having to deal with changes, so yeah. cuts are always changing, things are getting extended out of handles. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to kind of, we're responsible to track and figure out when a shot's been extended because we don't yeah. always know, but you know, some mm-hmm. editors, they won't tell you, you to look through, you have to find it, you have to look yeah. through the reels and find yeah. it. And we have, we have different tools, you know, a lot of editors have, usually have their own uh, database Okay. Either using FileMaker or Shotgun's a popular one used mm-hmm. on like a browser-based one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll. That's a big part of it. Just finding what's changed, keeping up to date, so you guys are are kind of working on the most yeah. up-to-date version of the cut. So that's 2021. Have a mm-hmm. great Christmas, uh, New yeah. Year, holidays, uh, yeah, other celebrations and. We're going to see you in 2022. So we've got a lot more coming. We're yep. not going away. We're not going anywhere. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, you, what, what's what's our, what's our wish list for for the new year? Well, that's who a good question. You, who would it? you like? Who would you like I to mean, be on? Well, I definitely want to get a producer. I've been speaking mm-hmm. to a couple of producers, and mm-hmm. I think that's good. I think it's always good to have supervisors. I think we want to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of supervisors from different a uh, different kinds of uh, angles of that. Um, uh, that, that, I mean, I I think I would like to do some deep dives, like where I speak okay, to yeah. people, so you speak to match movers, and yeah. we speak to people, and we just go like really like geeky and really yeah. like yeah. down and dirty with stuff yeah. that maybe Definitely. is not as much for like people new to the industry, but more yep. just like let's yeah. get hardcore. On yeah, stuff. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think we want to try some other formats too. Like we mm-hmm. we talked about like doing like a and if anyone's interested in getting involved in this, we're talking I think of doing like we asked ten and we're gonna ask ten artists mm-hmm. about a topic related to VX yeah. and get them all on and cut them together in like a yeah. cool and funky way. So there's that. I don't know, what's your wish list? Yeah, I mean in yeah, I wanted to yeah, have some more episodes where we have very deep dive episodes. Um, but I also, yeah, I also want to bring on some more, uh, f- female artists and, um, just because I think, yeah, they, yeah, I think so far our, our podcast our episodes have been predominantly, um, men, male dominated, but I think, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely we want to get, um, a bit more of that perspective. And I, I've been speaking to a few people as well. I want to try and get on, um, mm-hmm. and also because they're brilliant artists, um, yeah. So I think that's the thing. I think what I think what's good is um, we're doing we're bringing diversity in from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. never like you know. I think there's nothing worse than when they say we're going to do diversity and they have like a diversity panel, and that's yeah. what they talk about. And then it's like, but you know, <laughs> I think what's good is everyone is there. You know, because of like how yeah, of course how damn good they are at what yeah, they do and how interesting yeah. their story is. Yeah. Um, certainly, yeah first and foremost so i think we're doing we do i think we're doing diversity the right way i hope so i don't know we'll yeah. get better like tell us if yeah. we're not like if you want to improve things in any way yeah um anyway that's my thought yeah know. what do you think yeah and then of course yeah, we want like, like, everyone listening right like we want more people <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> so yeah. spread share share the love um you know i know there are a lot of podcasts now there used to be like one or two podcasts i think yeah i've come across a few now yeah now there are quite a lot going but um 
I don't think they're rivals. I think it it means as a market, it means people like wanna. I mean, mm-hmm. and Chris was saying this to us as well, like uh, about CG Garage and where we went yep. on both of them, um, and you know then. I got to talk about this on another podcast as well, the On Track to Power, um, yeah. with Gregory Stapleton, and he's also talked to some some cool artists. So there's like there's a there's a bit of crossover, I think, with, with yeah. the other podcasts that are out there, um, and hopefully, you know, there'll be a bit of a bit of a community. I hope to build more than like you know, I mean, this is not our job, like yeah. it's not our source of income, so to speak. So we are. I think that the the thing about we're it's, we're we are artists. We are working as mm. VFX artists. We're not like ex VFX artists yeah. from back in the day who like talk about stuff yeah. or dropped it all to do a YouTube channel. You know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What what do you have any thoughts for twenty twenty two? What should do you have any like things you want to reveal from the game plan? And <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean I guess people yeah, it's just people just have to yeah follow the journey and but i think i think yeah the upcoming episodes will be quite detailed and um much more um in depth i think yeah not not to say we haven't got in depth on on the ones we've done Mm -hmm. i mean i think there's 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 always that balance because you want you do want people to be able to to listen if they're not in the industry but also if they're in a different bit of the industry i think Mm -hmm. that's important too yeah um because I, I think that's that's actually sometimes the most important. I, I think it's good that compositors learn what lighters do and what animators mm-hmm. do. We have an animator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. You actually just reminded me. We we have we have yeah. a couple of animators we've been speaking. We have a few yeah. people we've been speaking to. Yeah. Um, to chase up. Yeah. Um, and I think you know we don't be also be good to speak to a recruiter. I think that. Oh uh, yeah, of course. I had thought about it as well. Yeah. Because you, know, because you want to hear the, op- the opposite perspective when people yeah. are talking about sending their reels or you know promoting yeah. themselves and and yeah. how they how to do that and how not yeah. to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've seen some funny things. I saw someone that spelled they 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 applied for a role as a producer at a company mm-hmm. I was working at, and they actually spelled the name of the company wrong. And then oh, in the no. same letter, they they spoke about how they had this great attention to detail. <laughs> it's like, it's the, or, or the other one, the classic one, is like the copy paste of the letter, but they've left the name of the other studio. Oh yeah, of course, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, it's it's not rocket science sometimes, but I mean, <laughs> other stuff is maybe. So I think yeah. it's good to hear like perspective from someone that does that. For yeah, a living. definitely. Yeah. Cool. Right. Well, we yeah. we'll sign off. We'll see you next week. You've obviously got a lot of listening. If you haven't heard all the episodes now, you have to like download them all. So, yeah. <laughs> but they're on yeah. YouTube, Spotify, uh, Google Play, yeah. iPlayer, other podcasting yeah. platforms. Yeah. Or you can yeah you can find you can find on the website as well. I, I'm using Player FM. I don't use is that one. I haven't been on it. I usually either use yeah Spotify or. Oh, I mean, like now that we have the website, uh, yeah, uh, it's easier for me. So I go on the website. The website is the is the place to be, really. Like that's where all the cool kids are. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice cool. one. Okay, so we'll be seeing you all soon. So it's goodbye yeah. for me. Yeah, it's goodbye from me. Yeah, and thank you so much for <laughs> all your support runners. and for yeah, thank you for everything that um, yeah, all your time and support with our podcast so far thank you so much to audience and guests
Ciao.